0: The second reading is taken from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name.
1: Great to see you, or at least some of you, Uh, so let me say hi to those of you who are still tuning in from home on YouTube. Here we are in week five of our series in the book of Genesis, Um, and this morning's passage we're looking at God's incredible design for sex and marriage as he's creating uh, this wonderful world of ours, and we read that design here in this verse, therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That verse has been read time after time and enacted time after time down through the centuries. And I just want you to imagine a man reading it. Don't know what he looks like, but he's in a room on his own and he's got Genesis open in front of him and he's reading this verse and it struck him I just want to share with you the thought that struck him about it. His name was Paul, and you probably know him as the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament. And in a letter to one of the early churches, he quoted this verse, and then he said, this mystery is profound. Now, a mystery in the Bible is not like where you go all Sherlock Holmes, you gather up the clues, and you figure it out all by yourself. No, it's more like... Um, like trying to do a Rubik's cube. And you, you, know, you, you go back and forth and, and you just can't do it. It just seems impossible to you. And then your seven-year-old nephew wanders in and goes, do you want me to show you how to do it? And you go, no, I don't. I want to work it out by myself. And then you're just so frustrated. You go, well, well okay, show me. And he goes, and it's there, it's done. Oh, it's so annoying and that folks <laughs> is the Bible's understanding of the word mystery it means having something revealed to you that you could never work out by yourself and the Bible says that God's design for sex and marriage announced in the very second chapter of the Bible is it's a profound mystery that's interesting isn't it I think in this whole area of human sexuality, as a, as a culture, we think we know. We think we've figured this out, way better than the Bible. Uh, what we've got here in the Bible—that's a little bit backwards. But you know, we've we've got this sus now. We've we've found out a better way. But God says no. Sex and marriage and your sexuality and what it's for—it is a mystery. And you need me to reveal it to you. So here is my question for us this morning. Are we humble enough to listen, not to me, but to listen to God and hear what he has to say? I've got to be honest with you, I've not really been looking forward to preaching this sermon this week. Because I'm so aware that this is an area of profound sadness and disappointment and pain and confusion and shame and longing I've been very very aware of that as I prepared uh, prepared for speaking this Sunday but I want you to know that I've been praying for you, I've I've been praying for us all that as we listen to God's word this morning together we would see that Well, we'd see what we've been seeing from this whole series in Genesis, that God is good and everything he makes is good and for our good, including his design for sex and marriage and sexuality. And that actually, as we look into this this morning, we're gonna find that his design leads to something better. That's where we're heading this morning. So let's dive into Genesis 2, and, and we'll see, as we do that, we'll find out loads of things about uh, God's gift of marriage and sex. But firstly, we're to see that marriage and sex are fruitful things. So even though man is living in paradise, can you imagine what it would be like to be there right at the very beginning? Uh, and up until this point, we're told that everything God's been making is good, it's good, it's good. We hear that all the time in Genesis chapter 1. Suddenly, in verse 18, the Lord God says something is not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, if I was to say to you, would you like to be my helper? I suspect that you'd probably say to me, no, I would not. So let me make it clear that there is nothing derogatory about the name helper in the Bible. Not least of all, when the word is most frequently used actually about God himself as the helper of his people. In the New Testament we hear, Jesus referred to the coming of the Holy Spirit as being the sending of a helper. That hardly implies inferiority. And the point here, let's face it, it's not that women are weaker, but that the man isn't capable on his own. The man needs help. What does he need help with? Well, let's just rewind to Genesis chapter 1 again. What task did God give humanity there? Be fruitful and multiply. Now, does that sound like something you can do on your own? No, And clearly, more than just one man and one woman are needed because the rest of the task was to care for and rule over God's world. And it's going to take a whole community, a whole society, loads of human beings to achieve that purpose. So you see, the man isn't alone in that he felt alone and he needed a companion. He's alone in that... He was on his own and he'd been given an enormous task that was way beyond him by God. And so therefore, he needed help. I want to say this really gently. But I need to underline what this should mean for our expectations of marriage and sex. Marriage was not created by God to take away our loneliness or fulfill all our our emotional needs. Granted, yes, a good marriage can help isolation and loneliness. But God has also given us wider family and friendship and the church family itself to help meet those needs. But God's intention for marriage, right from the very beginning, has always been to help us serve his overriding purposes, his creative purpose of bringing children into this world and nurturing them so that we can then, together with those children, as part of society, shape society and care for the world in line with God's will. Not least now, now that we're beyond Genesis 2 into kind of Genesis 3 world of, of the fall by playing our part in the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. Now, all of that isn't to say that unless you're married and you're able to have biological children you shouldn't get married and and, and that you can't play your part in nurturing uh, in, in God's purpose of nurturing children I know that that's been a really painful thing for a number of people in our church family which is why I'm so proud of some of the folks who have despite that pain have taken on the incredibly important challenge of fostering and adoption in recent years. And also, along with many other parents in our church family, want to say thank you to those who have helped us in this whole business of of, of nurturing and bringing up children in the training and instruction of the Lord by being children's and youth work leaders, by being Godparents to our children, by being... um, Uh, honorary uncles and aunties we're doing this together folks and it is clear that we need one another in that and that marriage and sex are designed by God to be a fruitful thing and then secondly they're also a costly thing For as we read on through this strange zoological speed dating that seems to happen in Genesis 2 verse 19 with the animals traipsing past Adam one by one to see if there's a suitable helper for him and him presumably going, no, not that one. Oh, no, please, not that one. The search ends not in a fancy wedding but on the operating table. So, in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs. <laughs> well, sounds so simple, doesn't it? Can I have a rib? Uh, thank you. I'm sorry. No. If I was to say, I'm gonna come and get one of your ribs, <laughs> that would be like a deeply violent thing I am threatening you with there, isn't, isn't it? Because a hole would have to be punched into your side, which would presumably mean a lot of blood flowing out. I'm sorry if you're a bit free, squeamish, and only had your breakfast recently. Uh, but it would mean taking that rib out And we see here that that's what God did because verse 21 says that he closed up its place with flesh. After the operation, he made things good. And why is that important? Well, I want you to see that right from the very beginning, marriage has been a costly thing. Marriage involves sacrifice. And I want to suggest to you that is the pattern for how God thinks marriage and sex should work. They're not where I I come and I take what I want, but where I give and it is taken out of me. Which is why if you're married, then then in all likelihood you stood maybe on a spot like this in, in a church and you made promises like the ones I did when I said, with my body I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Now, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? For in marriage, you give, and you don't hold anything back. So even in saying those vows, automatically, immediately, you give away your freedom. And as we're going to see as we read further on in verse 24, we are told that marriage involves leaving your father and mother. Emotionally as well as physically. And if there is an argument, and quite often the argument can be about mom and dad and, and family and things like that, what are you to do? Pay the, pay the cost yourself. Be Christ-like. Swallow your pride. And seek reconciliation quickly before it festers and brews bitterness in your heart. And when it comes to sex, sex... Within marriage, you make it your goal to please the other person and not to seek pleasure merely for yourself. Marriage gives, and it gives, and it gives, and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it's painful. Sometimes a hole needs to be covered up in flesh. It's costly. But marriage and sex are also, thirdly, a joyful thing. For as the man first, clap, first claps eyes on the woman, he sings a song, do you see, in verse 23? He says, this at last is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Uh, uh, and when he says now there, uh, it's actually a pretty weak translation. The word really means wow. Now you're really talking, this is the one. And it's important, I think, for us to notice this. Particularly, I think, as chaps, it's important for us all to notice this, but I think particularly as blokes. We need to look um, at the example a man sets for us in romancing a woman. He expresses his profound appreciation for her as he bursts out in poetry. And I think this is important because sometimes, sadly, us guys, we're not great with this. Not least as we go on in married life. We sometimes start to take our wives for granted. So I heard of one man who was asked by his friend whether he still gave flowers to his wife, and he said no. And his friend asked, why not? And he said, well, you don't keep running if you've already caught the bus. No! The Bible says that is not the attitude. One of the best books that I've read in recent years on Marriage that I I found most helpful myself is a book called Date Your Wife. Uh, There's lots in it, but fundamentally it it just reminded me that I am never done wooing Fiona now that I'm married. Every day I'm to wake up and to be thoughtful and to be creative and attentive to her needs. God's intention was that marriage should be a joyful thing and we should seek to make it joyful for each other, for those of us who are married. And it was also his intention that marriage and sex should be fourthly a uniting thing. As the writer of Genesis then says in verse 24, therefore, in other words, all that we see about this first marriage, all that God is doing in creating it, that is the pattern for all marriages to come. A man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the word for whole fast there is dabak in the original language I love the sound of that word dabak in the Hebrew it, it literally means to cling to to be stuck to his wife so God's design for marriage is it's, it's one man and one woman joined together as one flesh and well for life and as I say that that one flesh bit that's, that includes the, the sex bit And we see that God's design for sex, too, is for marriage. Because sex joins people together like relational superglue. It's such a strong bonding agent that it takes two and it makes them into one. They can never be torn apart. And so the rest of the Bible says that, that sex is only for marriage. That sex makes a lifelong promise with the body that is a lie unless everything else that is part of you comes with it in promises for life. Now, as I say that, I'm well aware that that grates with our culture. And maybe, as I outline that, it grates with you too. You look at this, you think, it's so archaic, so restrictive, so judgmental. I mean, how, how can marriage just be for one man and one woman? How how can it be a commitment for life? That just sounds like a trap. And how is sex only for marriage, too? Well, let me just show you one last phrase right at the end of Genesis 2. Please look with me at verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. How incredible it must have been to have that kind of openness and intimacy where you're naked. Not just physically, I think, but but, but emotionally and and mentally too. The other person knows you inside out and yet there's nothing to hide. There's, there's, There's nothing to cover up. They felt no shame. I don't think any of us who are married, today, could claim that. And I think also for for all the progressiveness and for all the freedom that we've proclaimed as a culture in this area of sex and sexuality, you cannot tell me that our culture's view of sex has not brought massive amount of pain and hurt and confusion and yes, shame. We crave intimacy as a culture but our sexual revolution has brought a rocketing divorce rate and so many broken homes that are right on the edge and date rape and the Me Too movement. I'm saying that's a bad thing but it points out just all of the abuses of of this sexual revolution that have come in latter years. And we've seen the heartache of millions of unwanted pregnancies and a sexual culture that's received its education from the internet so that it is characterized by shattered expectations and power plays and abuse. We're a culture where people sadly are not finding intimacy and openness, but we are actually more and more alone ashamed than we have ever been this is not the way it was meant to be this is not the way God intended it to be and I say that not to kind of lament the loss of something from the past but in order to point you to something better do you remember what we heard about the apostle Paul Right at the start, as he writes in Ephesians 5, he writes, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul reads Genesis 2 and he thinks, Ah, this is about Christ and the church. Really? I'm not sure I would have got that. But but yes, this this is so important, folks, for us to understand this morning. That As we talk about marriage and sex and about our sexuality, it actually paints a picture. It is a visual aid that points towards something better than we have made of it. It's a profound mystery, but marriage and sex are not ultimate. Christ is. I think one of the areas we've... One of the ways we've really got ourselves in a muddle about this whole business, uh, not just as a culture, but also as as Christians, as a a church, that we need to repent of, is that we've taken God's good gifts, like we do with all of his good gifts, but, but, but his good gifts of sexuality and sex and marriage, and we've made them ultimate things. Things that promise fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment. Things that define us that we use to mark out our identity and give ourselves a status. Things that if we are denied, they somehow make us less than fully human. But the Bible says that to, to think like that, to believe that, it's like getting the metro to the airport to go on holiday and thinking that once we get to the airport, we've arrived. As if, wow, there's a Greggs. And it's one of the few places you can still get a Burger King, yes. And, oh, and duty-free. Isn't duty-free just lush? You know, just so sparkly and wonderful and incredible. And, but no, no, we don't think like that, don't we? It's just a stopping point, isn't it? It's a stop-off point on the journey of where we really want to go. <laughs> to be on some beach in the Canary Islands, <laughs> your chance would be a fine thing at the, at the moment, wouldn't it? But the Apostle Paul tells us that is the case with marriage. It's only meant to be a temporary stopping-off point on our journey to somewhere so much better. For the Bible begins not only with the marriage on its first pages, but it ends with the marriage, as we we read in that reading from Revelation 21. The wedding between Christ and his people, the ultimate wedding that all other weddings are supposed to point to. For Christ... He didn't lie down in a deep sleep, like the first man. He he lay down on a cross, didn't he? To death. And you know what they did to him when he was on that cross? They punched a hole in his side, and blood flowed out. And God, in His great love for us, used that blood to pay for all of our sin. Even though he knows all of us, he knows the deepest depths of it. He knows our guilt and our shame inside out. He knows even this week the ways in which we have strayed and fallen. The shameful things that we've looked at, that we've done with our our hands and our feet and our mouths and our eyes. Christ's blood flowed so that you and I could be washed clean of all of our shame to make you fit for him, to make you beautiful. And just as the first man said, wow, this is the one, Christ looks at us and the church and he sings, this is the one. He loves us more than we could ever know. And he unites us in his church where God takes two Not two, not two, actually, not two, but lots of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences and orientations. And he unites us as one body to himself as his bride. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. We need each other, folks. Boy, do we need each other! Whether married or single, whether straight or same-sex attracted, whether widowed or divorced, whether childless or, or with a quiver full of children. We all struggle. We all struggle in different ways, but we all struggle. And so we need each other to welcome and serve and lift one another up in those struggles. I had a guy speak on this a while back at a conference I was at. He's a guy who struggles with same-sex attraction. But he trusts what the Bible has to say about that. So unless his feelings change, he knows that he is never going to get married. And he is never going to have children. But his response to that was to say, I'm going to be a father and an uncle to the kids in my church. I'm going to take God at his word that the church is a family and I'm going to be part of family as a church. I'm going to pour myself out into relationships. And if I ever feel lonely, I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry for myself, but think others and seek to be used by God to serve others. Now, I know, folks, that there are many in our church who don't feel that we're really getting what we want what we need from church i know we've got a long long way to go in terms of how we do community but that doesn't mean that we should give up on god's good plan that guy there he sets the standard for us doesn't he don't run away step out and love love others like you would want to be loved yourself love others like christ has loved us And please, as I close here, please see, this is a profound mystery. It's a mind blow, isn't it, for many of us. But please see what the Bible is saying here. Built into the very fabric of our society, God has placed in marriage a reminder that we are spiritual beings. As he takes marriage, sex even, and he uses it as a picture of gospel love. That is the love our hearts are ultimately yearning for. And it is the only love that will never disappoint. So even if you never experience marriage in this life, even if you never even have sex, if you're never able to have children, that's a sad thing, and I know that causes pain. But... What matters even more than that is that you do take the opportunity to say, I will, to God and his Christ. That is a marriage that is offered to every single one of us, whoever we are. And we must not miss out on that all-important wedding. Miss that marriage and we will never know, never know what it means to be fully human. We'll never know it in the here and now. And we'll never know it for all eternity. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father. Thank you that we are wonderfully made for you and for one another. Forgive us for when we've not loved, we've not related as you intend us to do. And and thank you too, thank you for the joys of companionship, of intimacy that we can know in your good gifts of friendship and marriage and sex in Jesus. Grant us the grace to use these gifts as you intended and to experience as fully as possible what it means to love and to be loved for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen. I'm well aware there's loads of things I had to cut out that sermon that I haven't been able to say something on, and there's lots of questions that you might have. Please, please, please do ping them to me on an email or, or grab me and, and chat to me um, after church if you can. Um, don't hold back. Um, uh, there may be things that I haven't explained well, and it's all my fault, so please do come to me and help me clarify things. I really appreciate that. For now, though, we're going to finish our service in song again. Let's stand and say once more.